Welcome to the Museum of Femininity, a podcast where I, Charlotte Appleyard, discuss random topics of interest that relate to social history, art and material culture through a female lens. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. In today's painting analysis, we will be looking at Nude Woman in Red Chair by Pablo Picasso, which was painted in 1932. Picasso is a controversial figure, known for his chameleon's style, innovation and his commitment to certain themes and motifs, particularly those inspired by the women who he loved. This painting is an excellent example of how Picasso's muse fueled his creative genius and how it can shine a light on his problematic treatment of women, which often gives the impression that he did not really see them as human beings with complex emotions, instead as simply visual objects to acquire and shape into works of art. Pablo Picasso was born in 1881 in Malaga, Spain. He was a precocious student of arts from a young age and won many prestigious academic competitions. Picasso left Spain and entered into the bohemian world of Paris in the early 20th century. From 1909 to 1914, he developed Cubism with artist George Braque and revolutionised the art world by abstracting the human form and collapsing perspective into schematic, fragmented pieces. Following the war, Picasso dabbled in a classical revival style and surrealism, sculpture and also ceramics, which were often heavily inspired by African tribal masks, which had been absorbed by the avant-garde as an exotic trend. He was incredibly famous and beloved throughout his career, developing a semi-mythic reputation as being a sort of artistic magician, which was a label he had possessed to a certain extent since his childhood prodigy days. In this painting, we see a young nude woman sat in a chair wearing a green beaded necklace and holding her round heart-shaped face in her hands. Her expression is soft and her cheeks blushing. The model of this piece is Marie-Thérèse Walter, who was Picasso's teenage lover and was the muse of the moment, who of course is featured in much of his work from this period. These paintings follow a similar style, with undulating lines accentuating her figure and a purple, red, yellow and green colour palette, which is also seen in the painting Reading from the same year. Of the some 500 paintings known today by Picasso, over 50 of them are of Marie Therese. I think this is important because it shows how consumed he was by her and how vivid and bright she was in his mind as a visual form. Unlike in other paintings of Marie, this one is not geometric with strong blocks of colour. The use of colour is softer and more indicative of lighting. Her skin tone is slightly purplish, but there are certain elements which are highlighted in white, like her left arm and right breast as well as the left-hand side of her face. This suggested light and shadow and draws the eye to certain erotic parts of the composition. The right side of her face can also be interpreted 
as a face in profile, kissing the model's lips, and along with the sensuality of the lines, adds to the eroticism of the piece, which is also echoed in other works from this period. It is also worth noting the brush strokes are incredibly fluid and expressive, and from painting analysis, it has become clear that there was no preliminary sketch and Picasso completed this piece extremely quickly and using only paint. The relationship between Marie-Thérèse and Picasso is at the heart of this image, so we will explore this in more detail now. The couple met in 1927, when Marie-Thérèse was 17 and Picasso 45, when their paths collided on a busy street in Paris. In a later interview conducted in the 1970s, she would say that he approached her and said, quote, You have an interesting face. I would like to do a portrait of you. I feel we are going to do great things together. I am Picasso, he announced. The name meant nothing to Marie-Thérèse, so he took her to a bookstore and showed her a book about him, which she believed was in Chinese or Japanese. She then goes on to say, quote, He took me to a cafe, then to lunch, and then to his studio. He looked at me, he looked at my profile, he looked at my face, and then I left. He told me, come back tomorrow. Sounds a lot like grooming to me. What followed was a passionate love affair, which lasted nine years. Early on, Picasso was still married to the ballet dancer Olga Kokolova, who he was wedded to rather unhappily. And Marie-Thérèse was underaged as well, so as a result they had to keep the affair a secret. It was not until 1931 that images of her began to emerge and it became apparent that he had a new muse. We have a photograph, uh, we have lots of photographs of Marie-Thérèse and she is clearly recognisable in portraits of her by Picasso, particularly her strong classical profile and piercing blue eyes. She also had short bobbed blonde hair and a strong athletic build. So Picasso and Marie-Thérèse lived together in peaceful secrecy and Picasso continued to obsessively paint and draw his young lover, producing some of the finest and most emotionally deep work of his career. In 1930, Picasso bought the Chateau de Barzelou in Gisors near Paris, finding himself drawn to the stables and outbuildings as a potential place of work particularly in the creation of monumental sculptures. While working here, he produced this painting and others, including The Dream. During this time, he was also preparing for a major retrospective exhibition of his work, which would prove to be vitally important for his career and would include his portraits of Marie-Thérèse, which at that point remained unseen. Inevitably, it was the cultural event of the season, although Picasso was not in attendance. In 1932, Picasso was staying at the Chateau with his wife and their son, Paolo. Everything seemed relatively stable as they travelled to Cannes and Barcelona. However, the family units would be disrupted 
when in 1933, Picasso persuaded Marie Therese to come in secret and stay in a nearby hotel. It seemed they were serious about each other, and Picasso was finally considering divorce. Perhaps this had something to do with the fact Marie Therese was pregnant. According to her, when he found out, he, quote, fell on his knees, wept and told me it was the greatest happiness of his life. Olga did not want to be divorced and resisted it for eight years. In fact, she would remain Madame Picasso to everyone until her death in 1955. Sadly, due to this, Marie Therese and Pablo Picasso were never able to marry. So she remained spoilt goods, I suppose, to use a a horrible phrase, sort of dependent financially on Picasso, but not being able to enjoy being married to him. Marie Therese did, however, give birth to a daughter called Maya in 1935. There were complications, however, during the pregnancy, and upon arrival, Maya did not move. In a panic, Picasso performed an emergency baptism, and the first and last rites, as a priest would have done. However, it was totally unnecessary because the little girl came back to life. And Picasso really loved Maya and painted her with great tenderness. It's also said he kept diaries where he sketched and and wrote about her development with great fascination. Picasso continued to support the family, but in secret he had developed another love affair with the surrealist photographer Dora Maar. This provoked much jealousy in Marie Therese and lurid speculation about them accidentally meeting while Picasso was painting the famous Guernica painting. And there's a story that they wrestled, which is not true. But interesting, because it says a lot about how uh, these relationships were remembered. On the 20th of October 1977, four years after Picasso's death, Marie Therese committed suicide by hanging, and it was said it was due to her depression caused by her failed relationship with Picasso. So he continued to support her, but they weren't in a relationship, and it's very sad, really. I think reflecting on it, it's it's like he ruined her life, you know, sort of devoted to him, and she couldn't pursue other things on her own, of a relationship. She was kind of tied to him forever, and I think that was the case with a lot of women in his life. And we can look back at this painting of Marie Therese and see a beautiful, soft and expressive work of art filled with light and romantic adoration, which is undeniably sexual, but also quite tender, I think, in the execution. It is evident that Picasso really loved women and their bodies, and he drew enormous inspiration from them, capturing their essence in a painting to a point where he transforms his style. So you can compare this work to, you know, the spiky darkness of his portraits of Dora Maar, which are so often filled with pain and tears. Although we can interpret the painting in these terms, is it really that easy to separate the work from the man and the reality of their relationship, which is encapsulated in this series of portraits? Because to me, there's a definite contradiction there. 
The truth is Picasso was a middle-aged married man who preyed on an underage girl and kept her in a dependent sexual relationship, which she was stuck in, unable to marry him or pursue other possibilities due to their illegitimate daughter. Meanwhile, Picasso continued to have affairs with other women, with apparently little regard for Marie Therese's mental well-being. He seemed aware of his monstrous persona and turned himself into a sort of mythic creature by depicting himself in the form of a minotaur, which reflected his own beastly, rampant sexual lust, you know. And many have looked back on this depiction with something of admiration, which is interesting. And this concept is partly explored in a memoir written by Picasso's granddaughter, Marina Picasso, which details his energy-draining, almost vampiric effect, which he had on women he was in a relationship with. So she writes, quote, he submitted them to his animal sexuality, tamed them, bewitched them, ingested them and crushed them onto his canvas after he had spent many nights extracting their essence. Once they were bled dry, he would dispose of them, which I feel really captures his misogynistic nature and that image of him crushing them onto his canvas is incredibly provocative and gives a sense of him capturing their identity in a way that's very possessive and really, really problematic because they kind of become immortalised in his works of art and then that's all they are as women, you know? Even this episode is a little bit detrimental in that way because, you know, it's, it's talking about Marie Therese through this work of art. But who was she really, you know? It would, it would be helpful, I think, to really think about her life and her biography in a way that is separate to Picasso's work of art. So looking at women in a red armchair, we are not immediately given the sense that he is this mis- misogynistic monster who possesses women. On a surface level, it's really beautiful. However, I feel once you understand the context, you can see how vulnerable and sexually objectified she was. And although there was clearly something of love between them, because she was with him for a long time and they had a child together, from interviews of her, it's clear that there were happy times, even though the way they met was very troubling. And, you know, based on his other affairs, he clearly treated her terribly as well. I think knowing who Picasso really was should not prevent us from loving his artwork, though, because he was a true original and highly influential and daring. However, I think we should not simply worship an artist because it is the status quo. We should look at them as flawed people and understand their motivations and shortcomings in order to reframe their artwork from the past. So from this painting, we can now look at it as a symbol of, you know, toxic masculinity, but still admire it for its use of form and colour and the fascinating stories we can extract from its past, which I think elevates it. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I will include um, this painting 
woman in a red chair on our Instagram accounts, which you can follow at the Museum of Femininity. And I will have lots of sources in the show notes. I will also have some photos of Marie-Therese Walter uh, and her and Picasso and Maya as well on Instagram too. So please tune in next time for our next episode, which will be a bit of a longer one. Uh, I will be exploring the history of the beauty pageant. So it will be more of a social history episode, but really interesting. And I hope you tune in for that. Until then, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye.